The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power. <laughs> I love the power. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast, live on Port Fan Radio. I'm your host, Mac and Nineteen, and joining us is Rick. How are you, mate? Mate, there's been better times, but I'm here. I'm okay. okay. What about you, man? I'm also here, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> so it's been a great podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you next here. year. So, yeah. And we've got see Porsche as well. We've got Porsche. Porsche, can I say g'day and goodbye? Hi. Look, I mean, hi, hello. It's some very exciting times here in Melbourne. Uh, we're all allowed out of our caves. We've been, all the bars have been taken away. We're allowed to come out and see the sunlight once more, and... Um, just in time for a Richmond Geelong Grand Final. So isn't that fucking fantastic? Beautiful. <laughs> Who's going to watch it? Oh, all of Victoria. I'll be working. Oh, I don't... I'm not going to watch it. Mm. I'll probably watch it anyway, but, you know. I'm going to protest. Protest. What are you protesting, Rick? What are you going to protest? The anti- I'm going to be an anti-Victorian stuff the establishment sort of guy. Fair enough. Okay. I mean, yeah, cool. Have you booked a, a talkback sold on 5AA yet? No, but it's a conspiracy, man. They <laughs> they didn't want us to win, dudes. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Hamish Hartlett wasn't intentionally out of bounds. Sure, sure. Yep, yep. And look, they put some weird goo on the boot when Marshall and Boke had their shots at goal that they should have got, for sure. Yeah. And Anthony dropped that mark. It's absolutely um, interference of some kind. It was divine AFL, VFL interference. Mm. Mm. I don't know. I just don't like... I don't really want to watch either team win. There's no winner. So if I'm there's no team that I really want to watch... To, I'd rather Richmond oh. win than Geelong. Yeah, I'd rather Richmond win, honestly. Yeah. Mm. Not even close. Richmond will forever have a special spot in my heart for 2017. Uh, that's not the reason for me. It's just that um, if you've got a team that's up the top, they might as well stay up there. Um, don't spread the premierships around. Why do that? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get on with it. We've got a lot of questions today, and we'll try and get through this review as quick as possible. Um, your love and hate, guys. What was your love and hate for this match? Rick, I'll start with yours, mate. I love the fact that Xavier Dersma is going to get Brad Ebert's number. Yep. I just hope he doesn't follow in the concussion footsteps. But uh, fitting player, fitting number. Even though I did like him wearing Craig Bradley's number. He was a bit of a uh, Craig Bradley Junior. Like yeah, yeah. Yep. No, I like good. that. That's a good one. And yep. your hate? Well, I hate losing. And... <laughs> I hate that uh, we're already talking uh, crappy off-season trades that don't really, um, um, yeah, that don't really rock my boat. So um, I hate losing to a preliminary final. So much hope, and I hate buying flexi fare tickets, and then the cost <laughs> to uh, the cost to change the flight is actually more than what the actual ticket was, which defeats the purpose. There you go, lots of hates. There you go, lots yeah. of hates. Pushy, you all love and hate? Um, oh, look, I mean, I guess 
It's hard to find a love. I don't really have one because um, I don't actually love being right. I hate being right about some things like um, coaching appointments, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I don't. I don't like it. I hate it. Uh, so there's actually no love this week. I don't. I don't. I don't have anything at all. Even a negative thing I can love. It's just all hate. It's just all hate. It's all. All 100 of it is hate. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, I hated that we didn't know how to play with the football, as we have found so many times before. I hated that all these guys that from have been around for years and years who were saying, no, this year it's different, it's different. They're not going to lose their shit and make stupid mistakes under minimal pressure for no apparent reason. They're not going to do it. And then even though they've done it most of their careers, they're not going to do it. They're not doing it this year. And then they all did it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's just so many things. There's just so many things. You just go, oh. But it, it feels like normality has returned in just the shittest possible way and it just really sucks that, that's the worst part of it like i'm not i'm not even upset about the loss i'm upset about the complete reversion that it sort of has undone literally all of the good work that was done this year it's just all completely completely inverted and we're just back to where we were this time last year 100 percent. and even Wait. off the field we seem to have done that 100 percent inversion off the field saying, oh, we're going to sign Hinkley for 10 years. Oh, you know, he's doing great. This is really good. We consider it an achievement to lose a home prelim. Um, fucking, no, nah, everything's gone to shit again. It, there's no good to take out of this at all. Wait till you uh, hear that he gets like a five-year contract or something. Oh, I'm sure he will. Yeah, why not? Why not? We're back in 2017 again, 2016, 2015, whatever the hell you want. It's, it's, it's all just more of the same shit. We had a very brief interruption. Uh, where COVID made our you better somehow in a football sense, and uh, everything seems to be back under control again now. So of course it's gone back to shit. There you go. Please, mm-hmm. we are ranting. <laughs> oh, rant. <laughs> well, for me, my love uh, was uh, Connor Rosie. I thought, uh, you know, we, we wanted him to have a big game, and he did. He, mm-hmm. uh, he was magic in that first half. Kicked a couple of really good goals, and um, yeah, it was it was nice to see him have a big game in the final. And, um, you know, one of his better games for the year, really. And uh, look forward to seeing what he can do next year. Uh, my hate, there could be plenty, but I'm just going to put it down to one thing, and that's just panic. Like, we just panicked in that last quarter. Um, we just reverted back to the bad habits that we've seen numerous times in previous years. You know, just panic kicking, wrong mistakes, you know, just booting it forward straight down the throat of opposition players time yep. and time and time again. And, uh, you know, it was like death by a thousand cuts almost watching that last quarter. Um, So, yeah, that would be my hate for this week. But did you... um, AFL 360 was good last night. I didn't see it. There was a little snippet where, talking exactly about that, where he showed the difference in the last seven minutes with what Boak did. And he, and he wasn't picking on Boak, but just showed the difference in composure. And, you know, so Boak got the clearance 60 metres out in front of goals and bombed along um, to uh, to Dixon, which uh, Nan Curvis came along and chopped out and stuff when he could have gone to Robbie Gray at the top of the 50 on his own, lots of space, or tried to pass it to Amon leading, but instead went for the long. And then you had, you had Cochin, who, under pressure... Didn't just boot the ball, evaded the tackler, handballed it, then another handball over to McIntosh, who ran it clear. And that's exactly what you're talking about, just the difference in composure under pressure. Yeah, absolutely. 
There was none. There was no composure under pressure in that last quarter. Um, I guess we'll talk about... Um, I'm not sure if this is a positive or a negative, or it's just... It's, it's sad, but it's good, I guess, as well, and that's Brad Ebert retiring. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's sad because uh, he was such a loyal servant, such a great player for us for a long, long time. And uh, you could never question his courage, his heart. He loved Port Adelaide. Um... I'm, I'm glad he's retired on a, on a health sort of reason. Um, yeah. We just don't want to see him, you know, the, the things that could that he could suffer later in life aren't all that pleasant. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of happy he's going out now. I'm sad that it that he's going out <laughs> with yet another head knock. That was, uh, you know, that was painful to watch. But, um, you know, he got the send-off. Um, with the crowd, you know, standing ovation, everyone chanting Ebo. I thought that was a really nice moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, it's really, it's really terrible. Like, I, like I said, it's really sad to see him go this way, but also it's just so relieving. It's like, I don't know, it's like having a relative, like an old relative, and they, they still want to drive their car and then they, they can't drive safely anymore. That's the one that makes me remember that. It's my granddad wanting to drive his car when he couldn't realistically drive safely at all. Mm. And you don't want to take that away from them. You don't want them to lose that thing that's important to them. But you're just so worried about their safety all the time. And that's this case, absolutely, I think, for every Port fan with Brad Ebert. Just, um, we none of us want to be here in 20, 30 years' time and he can't talk properly because he's had so many concussions. Like, that's just a terrifying thought. Yeah. Um, but that's a, real, that's a real concern. And every time he gets hit in the head, you just wonder, oh, is that going to bring that on? Is that going to be it? Is that going to cause that degeneration? Maybe it already will. I don't know. But that's just... that's When it gets to that point that it's got to with Brad, and it just is, it's a huge relief, I think, as a fan that he's going as much as it is sad that he's going as well. I mean, credit to him, though, like, yeah, Macker and I at the start of the year were questioning his place in the starting 22, and he ended up probably being in close to one of the top five players for the season, consistency-wise. So, you know, and I guess he's he's gone out in a fitting way uh, for him. Obviously, a grand final would have been better. I doubt he would have played the grand final if we made it anyway. But um, you know, what else can you what else can you do? He had a great career, and he's been a great Port Adelaide champion, and. He uh, at least he got to go out on playing terms, you know, unlike, unlike Justin who had to watch from the, the bench. But you know, mm. it's how careers pan out. So hopefully he stays fit and healthy and strong, and we'll probably see him at the winery soon, Macca. Yep, 260 games, 184 at Port Adelaide. It was a fine career, very, very, very good career, and um, you know, he'd be very proud of everything that he did uh, for both West Coast and Port Adelaide throughout his career. Um, yes, it looks like, as you mentioned uh, in the before we started recording, Porsche, it looks like Fantasia might be coming to port, which um, I know you're really happy about. Uh, look, it's just, why? Why? Like, um, I didn't get around to replying to it. So Stalking first replied to me saying that we do need small forwards, our small forwards don't produce, we don't get enough goals. But, like, you look at our entire team, we had one guy who got 20 goals this season, like one. Um, and when that's happening, it's not that you can, and that's not on the basis of not having tried to play small forwards. We play with small forwards. We put more, we almost we put more uh, draft and trade resources into recruiting small forwards than we have any other position on the ground. Like Motlot was a big deal. We put in big money into big 
draft capital into getting guys like Butters and Rosie in. Um, there's a whole we put effort into getting small forwards and the issue is not the small forwards the issue the goal production is not the issue that we've got is small forwards it's our forward system and that's what we need to change more so bringing in Fantasia to address I don't even believe is a real need I just it's super frustrating and particularly given his injury record given his seemingly very mercenary way of wanting to manage his football contract like there's just it's all red flags everything is just red flags for it and I just it, it's so frustrating um but it's absolutely, why, why would we not do that? We'll just say, well, our system is fine. It's the children that are wrong. So, aka, it's the players that are wrong. So, yeah, well, we'll, not, we'll throw more at this. We'll throw more at this because, obviously, our forward system is fine. We'll stick with the plan for another five years. Why not? Why the fuck not? I'm looking forward to playing <laughs> in power colours. I think, um, look, I think we could do with another small forward that can kick goals, and that's what he can do, so long as what we do can do get him fit. Like though? Well, I hope so. I hope so. And if our forward system actually functions to the point that that our forwards are, you know, we have multiple high goal kickers, but we don't have that. We don't have that. We don't have that. And honestly, that's probably not even modern football. Um, So I I just, I think it's addressing it, something we don't actually need. And also, what are Essendon going to do when they're to replace him? Well, they're going to play probably Ned Kale, right? Who they drafted in what second, third round? Like, why don't we just do that? That's what you do with small forwards. You bring in young guys like Buddy Woodcock, who has spent years on the list. Play him, just play him, just play him, play him for games. You know, and uh, look. Well, I think we still need we'll, 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 some more numbers we'll to play out there. That's the thing. Like, we can play both Fantasia and Woodcock because look, Ebert spent all year up forward. He's going. Motlops, mm-hmm. you know, next year's going to be his last year. I think that's pretty much guaranteed. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's no secret that we want Rosie and Butters up more into the midfield. So there's plenty of spots there for small forwards, um, you know, in the coming sort of 12 to 24 months. Um, so why not Fantasia if we can get him cheap? Well, I would have been happy if that trade went through this year. The only thing that would have that was the big problem was the fact that they wanted all their wines for him, which was absolutely ridiculous. But... Um, <laughs> You know, if we can get in for a third rounder, like, why not? That's worth a crack, I think. Why? What about uh, what about a Lear, a Learmacker? Well, that was one that came out of the blue, and uh, I'm not too... Uh, yeah, I'm... I think that's... Yeah, I don't know. Look, we, we've all been calling out that we need more key position defender depth, and he would be that. Like, he's a good size, 195 centimetres. He's in the right age bracket. I think he's 26. Um, he can play pretty good footy. Like, why not? Again, oh, I'd be happy for that one to go through. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. That one would be fine. I wonder, what what would he cost, you reckon? Hard to oh, say. I don't know. It's, it's a hard one. Maybe a Is second he rounder, maybe a future agent, second. Or... No, he's under contract, I think. So, so we'd, we'd have to trade. trade. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, Riley maybe Bonner. a future second can get it done. Maybe someone like Riley Bonner can get it done. That's the thing. Uh, maybe Joel Garner or something like that. Who knows? But, yeah, look, he, he would come in and I think he would play a fair bit of senior football for us. So, um, you know, he's not the best key defender around, but he's certainly dependable and um, he's a decent player. So I'm all for that if we can get it done. Yep, sounds good. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the game, I guess, if we have to. 
And uh, it was a prelim final. Port played Richmond at Adelaide Oval and uh, disappointingly lost by six points. Six goals, four to six goals, ten. Uh, Connor Rosie was our only multiple goal kicker with two. Uh, Rick, what were your thoughts on the game, mate? Let's maybe it's... split it into two halves, hey? Let's talk about the first half first. Well, I thought first half we we were probably the more dominant side without showing it on the on the scoreboard. Our, um Lysett was having a great game. Midfield was influential. Um, definitely the game was different watching it on TV to live at the at the ground when I watched the the replay. But um, yeah, we were just we just really didn't take our didn't take our opportunities um, that we could have created in that first half. But yeah, I felt like we had the control and the momentum. Uh, we definitely had the better players on the ground. We were leading the clearances. Uh, we were leading the disposals by 40. Um, yeah, and, you know, which is Port Adelaide at times. Uh, we gave the opposition a sniff, I guess, at half time because we didn't take advantage of all the positive momentum. Like you said, Rosie had a great start. Um, he had his zip back. Obviously, his foot's um, feeling a bit better. Um, I thought, you know, all the young players, Dersma, um, Dersma Butters, they were all getting involved and... Um, yeah, it, I felt at half time. I felt confident that, you know, going into it, we had the momentum. Didn't have it on the scoreboard, but like a few games this year, I thought I had that vibe. You know, we'll come out in the third, and you know, sort of strut our stuff again with a, with fresher legs against a wavering opponent. So I was quite optimistic. What about you guys? Porsche. Uh, look, I mean, I felt like we could win it, but um, you know, as the game went on, we started seeing more of those signs that, uh, again, that we have had, had seen only occasionally this year, and they all just started coinciding, like, you know, Zach Butters going missing for extended periods of time. Um, Hamish Hartley... Hey, we're, only in the, we're only in the first half, Porsche. Don't get ahead of the script. Well, no, he started going... To, like, in the early play, Zach Butters was involved in a lot of the good stuff, and then he kind of disappeared in the second quarter, I think, and just kind of kept vanishing from there. Like, we didn't see much of him after that, if that I could see anyway. So, um, I mean, you're great. a big Butters fan. Do you yeah. think... Oh. Does, he go in into, does he go into his shell? Um, do you think he just get? Do you think he gets buffeted out of the play at times? Uh, you know, does he just well, lose positioning? What do you, what do you think happens? It's just what we talked about before, or as I mentioned before, it was a reversion. Like, this was the, the knock on him as a junior was that, you know, his quality of when he's involved is really high, but does he get enough of it? And, you know, the, he does have these periods where he just seems to vanish and doesn't become part of the play. And, you know, you could see sometimes, like, watch and see, oh, there's Zach, you know, he's getting bodied off the ball um, before he can get anywhere near it. And, you know, obviously there's no free kicks because they don't get free kicks, but, um, you know, he just was not able to get near it, not able to impact the play, um, and he didn't find a way to get involved. And that was just another one of those signs. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, if, in a way, it's kind of sad that Westhoff wasn't playing because he probably could have completed the set of all the, the ill omens that you see in port games, um, <laughs> you know, and things that uh, can go wrong that do go wrong. And for me, this whole game was just a, a slow adding up of all of those things that can go wrong. Um, Marshall's missed... Kick at goal. That was a classic. That's a classic one. That was that was a classic. Like it wasn't even for a particularly good reason. It was just a bad kick. Um, yeah, yeah. It was just all these, all these things that occasionally go wrong. And this year had gone wrong less than usual. They all just came back. So yeah. Yes. There you go. Well, I, I was. I don't know. I, I kind of felt the opposite to how I felt in the Geelong game. Like in at 
halftime of the Geelong game, I was pretty positive because I thought, well, Geelong's played really well. They're you know moving the ball really cleanly. We're not getting a lot of it, but we're in front. So if we can get our system working, then we're in a really good place to win that game. And I thought the exact opposite at halftime of this game. I thought, you know, we were right on top of them in that first quarter and just couldn't, um, you know, couldn't dominate on the scoreboard at all. At halftime, it was even, and I thought, and then I looked at the stats at halftime, and we were miles in front in disposals and clearances and inside 50s and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, geez, this is, you know, we're, we've had so much of the ball and we've got nothing to show for it at all. Like, we know Richmond are going to come. You know, they're a finals-hardened side. And I, yeah, I wasn't feeling all that confident going into that second half. I thought, you know, if we're going to win, this is going to be a huge win for us. We're going to have to do something pretty special. Look, we nearly, uh, we nearly pulled it off, I guess. But um, what were your thoughts uh, through that second half, Rick? Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, I guess some, some of my friends that were with me, you know, they were... They were probably a little bit more anxious, you know. The the uh, the conversation was being alerted to, um, um, you know, the clearance differential was starting to go Richmond's favour. But I don't know. I just felt like it was a a, a tight tussle, and um, you know, I, I thought our play, our influential players in the third quarter were, were still getting involved. You know, it was it was a pretty even game, but you did get the vibe that. Um, that Richmond was just sort of, as we said before, just that little bit more composed around the stoppages, around the uh, around the ball movement, um, and they look and credit to Richmond, they just maximised their inside fifty uh, entries with um, scoreboard pressure, um, whether it was a point or a goal. This game was it didn't really matter. Any scoreboard pressure was scoreboard pressure, you know. And then I think the um, I think the Boke out on the fall. Yeah, Travis had a great year, so definitely can't scapegoat him, but um, that boke out on the fall at the end of the third. Um, you know, we just had those little bits of momentum that didn't go our way. You know, Robbie Gray probably should have got a free kick for holding the man when uh, Rosie would have um, sort of passed it back over to him, running an open goal, didn't get that. Boke missed his boke missed his opportunity in the third as well, and, um, and that sort of, yeah, we might have had a a one or two goal break, which could have been a match defining break. And then, yeah, and then the last quarter, it, it sort of just disintegrated. We lost our midfield, you know, the prime midfield movers that have been so good for us, especially in the second half of the season, they just sort of disappeared. Um, you know, Scott Lyser got towed up by Nan Curvis. Um, you know, it looked like, Lyser, I don't know, Lyser wasn't instructed to maybe run with him uh, forward, which probably was a mistake. And, um, and yeah, we... I. I saw the question on Big Footy. For me, like I sort of, I said in the, after five minutes of the last quarter, I sort of just felt like we're just going to lose this. Um, I just had that vibe that I just didn't. It was going to be one of those games where we were just chasing the tail and just couldn't get over the line. And and then yeah, we 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 sort of had the ball in the last. You know, Richmond allowed us to have the ball in the last seven minutes, but they just structured well up. You know, their their zone defense allowed. You know, they had the right positioning for the the quick pressure kicks to fall in their laps and, you know, they zoned off well deep. And as you said, Macca, we didn't really play accordingly. And I think we lacked a bit of courage, um, you know, and we didn't stick with our normal game plan that sort of served us well courageously during the year. And and that ended up resulting in us losing. But, yeah, I thought mm-hmm. Rosie had a great game. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. You know, I thought Dersma tried hard. Um 
you know, the defence again did well to keep them to 46 points. Um, but, yeah, we just weren't good enough for long enough. Porsche? Uh, look, um, for me, the, the, the key difference, and it really started, really started happening in the second half, was that there might be a competition in the midfield to win the ball. And when we got it, we kind of were playing chaos ball. Like, we got it and we got it forward and then we're like, okay, the ball's going forward. Oh, oh gosh, it'd be nice if people were there. I hope they are. And whereas when Richmond were doing it, like, they were putting it to advantage and it just seemed like they were putting it to their advantage so much more often mm-hmm. than we were in these sort of these sort of um, situations where it always is just forcing the ball forward. But when they were just forcing the ball forward, it, they had players that were doing the running, that were getting in position to, if not receive, at least contest the next point of con- point of contest, essentially. Whereas when we were doing it, we were just sort of, ah, oh, I've got the ball, I'll put it forward, and then hopefully something good will happen. That exactly, and you know, that's Hinkley ball, that, that's the old Hinkley ball that we have been seeing so many years, and it all just came back. Um, we, we talked in the preview about how the important part for this game against Richmond specifically for us for our half forward line to be our strongest line if possible, and that was absolutely our weakest line. Um, we didn't have we, we didn't have any support for for um, uh, Dixon being you know, having multiple men on him. We had occasionally empty forward lines. We didn't seem to have any real structure there, any real leading patterns that you could observe. And it was just ugly, ugly, ugly football and just half chance football. The late the the, the later the game got, um, and if, if we have a forwards coach. It's facet, isn't it? Like, just fuck off. And you can say our defence held them to a low score. Yeah, they did. But we overcommit to our defence. So, and, and like in this game, you can see we overcommit to our defence. And when you do that, and when you do that knowing that your problem with affecting your game, which is what you are there for, what you are there for as a coach, is to do what you do. Um, when you know that it's going to be so reliant on having functional half forward movement, forward movement. And you concentrate that much. It, it looked at everything. It was just a shit show. I'm not going to have any other view other than this. Everything, every aspect of this game became an utter shit show as the game went on. So I'm just going to stop. There we go. <laughs> I hear you. I feel you. It's, um, yeah, look, it just slowly started to uh, to crumble through that second half. And, yeah, we had that sort of five or six minute sort of purple patch in that third quarter. We lost it, kicked a, a wonderful goal, which sort of swung from right to left and, you know, I thought, oh, mate, maybe that's the moment which is going to spur us on. And then we had a couple of sort of half chances, as you that's, said. Boke had that shot, and then the I think Butters missed one. And then, you know, we had the ball in the goal square and somehow missed everything as well. And, um, you know, yet in, in tight finals, which are, you know, wet and low scoring and you know, all that sort of stuff, you need to take those chances. And um, in the that's end, that's the difference. That, that's the thing, though. You, you mentioned that, um, you know, the Laddams thing, oh, is that going to be the thing that spurs us on? And, like, that's a fan's view, but it feels like that's the player's view as well. Like, we go, oh, we had something surprisingly go, well, maybe that's going to spur us on. Maybe that's going to solve all the problems we're having with our system going mm. forward. Like, that just seems to be very much how we play. And that's the fan's view that we're playing with. We, you know, we, we it sort did of give go, us oh, momentum, though. Yeah. That last goal did give us momentum. We just didn't mm. capitalise on it at all. For that Absolutely. sort of five or six minutes, because we were looking for it to give us momentum rather than immediately going, "Great, what's next?" Mm. You know, rather than just going, "Tick, okay, how do we win the next point?" Like it just seems like that was the way we played that second half, particularly, is that we'd do a good thing and we'd hope that good thing would turn into another good thing, but it didn't seem like there was any real conviction behind it. Yeah, um, and that was that was a real issue. That's yeah. I mean, that's a real issue with us in this team, honestly. 
Uh, I thought one, they... of the, one of the big issues was that um, you know, they just seemed to have a lot of time on the flanks um, mm. you know, through that second half, and they were able to find a lot of space and, and kick into space, and there was always someone like Sean Bolton or Lambert or um, Dusty yeah. or someone like that there, uh, Pickett as well, and um, they were able to run onto it, whereas uh, us, when we were kicking it forward, there was just no one there. Like our, our forward flankers went missing. Um, I thought our back flankers were horrible throughout the whole game. Like, Bursi, uh, Darcy Byrne-Jones probably had his worst game of AFL football. Mm. Um, yeah. Hartlett, well, I'm sure we'll talk about him later, but, uh, you know, he had just some absolute howling errors and uh, and bad judgment errors there as well. I didn't think Houston was that good. I thought uh, key defenders played really, really well. I thought Cleary did a great job. I thought Jonas, especially in the first half, was probably our best player. Um, and I thought McKenzie did all right as well. Uh, but they were really let down by um, the small support back there. I guess Ryan Burton going off injured early didn't really help and he was sort of stuck in the goal square uh, for five or six-minute periods through that second half, which didn't really uh, solve anything either. Um, but the last quarter, like, I don't know. When Dixon kicked that goal... You know, when your big key forward kicks a huge goal from 55 metres out on the boundary, that should spur you on. And um, Why? Why would it? Because it should. Home oh, it's around, momentum the, lifting. The crowd's going absolute bonkers. You know, the biggest player on the ground has just kicked a monster goal. That should absolutely spur the team on. And that's how sport works. That's uh, how momentum works. And, uh, you know, it was all down to that next centre clearance and uh, that next sort of couple of moments, and Richmond got it out, they got it forward, and pretty much within a minute they kicked an equaliser, and that just took you know a lot of the wind out of the stadium, I thought. And um, that was, uh, and then they kicked, obviously Lambert kicked that other one from the boundary from the uh, contentious uh, deliberate. Um, but then you know, let him kick that goal late. Or I guess halfway through the quarter, you think, oh, we're still half a chance maybe, but it uh, didn't happen. just didn't happen. Disappointing. It sucks. Disappointing. So, I don't know. I don't know. How are you feeling after the game? Like, I I feel like the seven stages of grief or whatever it is, I feel like I've experienced them backwards because at the end of the game, I was just sitting there just going, oh, well. You know, we gave it an absolute red-hot crack and we just weren't good enough to beat a dynasty team. Um, I kind of went through acceptance first and then I was angry and then I was upset and now now I'm still in that sort of half-angry, half-upset sort of mood. I don't know. For me, it was sort of like, um, you know, the Shawshank Redemption, how Andy Dufresne's just slowly, slowly digging that big hole in his jail cell mm. and he's working it for years and decades. And just imagine one day he lifts the poster and someone's filled it in. Like, that's how it felt. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone's yeah. filled it in, they've concreted it over, it's smoothed it over, yeah. and all that, all of it's just in the fucking toilet. Like, yeah, that's exactly how that felt. Probably wouldn't have made it as good a movie, but uh, I get what you mean. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I guess I've... Yeah, I, I know that. I know that feeling. I know. Yeah. Just got to drink more, Mecca. I, I was more... I was more distraught after 14, I think, than this one. I thought, you know, 14 when we were just charging back and you just felt like, you know, if there was another 20 seconds or another 30 seconds, we would have won that game. 
Whereas this one, I just felt like this could go on for another 20 minutes and we're not going to win, sort of thing. So mm. uh, I don't know if I just came to that sort of acceptance of a bit earlier on than, uh, than what I did in the 14, but I, I was certainly more hurt from the 14 prelim final loss than this one. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, this was it didn't even hurt anymore. It was just frustration. Mm. Just frustration but, and, and, and anger at the reversion and that this year has been a lie. That was basically it for me. Did we play um, Dusty Martin wrong? Uh, oh, oh. I don't know. At the ground, I didn't think he was that great. But at the end of the day, he led their possessions and hit two goals. So, you know, he was probably in their top two or three players on the ground. I thought... At the ground, there was probably three or four others that were better than him. Um, but yeah, look, sort of Darcy Burns-Jones didn't have a great first half on him. You know, I'm not sure who played on him in the second half, but it, it wasn't Darcy, I don't think. But um, look, we, we it probably wasn't the best matchup, Burns-Jones. But look, he's done that sort of job on other players, other similar players to Dusty in the past. So I just well, think I mean, that really... Burns-Jones just had a bad game. That's all. I think the reality is like this: that we don't have anywhere on our list anyone that's remotely a matchup for Dustin Martin. Like, no, um, that's true. That's right. For the role he plays, what you really want is you want a tall halfback flanker that isn't skinny, that has a bit of strength. And we don't have a tall halfback flanker that has a bit of strength. Or if we well, do, that's we call probably Ryan Has he got strength though? Like, I don't. Yeah. Know, that's it. He's a skill I think player. He's, very he's strong. a length yeah, I don't know. Look, I, I don't believe it. I think that the closest we would have had to someone that could have been a fit for it would have been someone like Buddy Trent McKenzie, but he's a key position backman these days. So mm. I, I think that just we don't have the body type and the skill set on our list to beat Dustin Martin. So whoever we pick was going to be a compromise. Hey, uh, um, what about the uh, post by REH um, quoting Bickley on Double A saying that Rosie and Wine spent the last seven minutes on the bench? Hi. Yeah, well, that was that was a question asked by Bomber Clifford as well. We might as well get to the questions now, but um, yeah, he asked. Uh, it was reported that Wine and Rosie were on the bench for the last seven minutes of the last quarter, and um, you know we weren't able to get players off. Um, how can this happen? And uh, who needs to be shot for this? Chad Corns. Yeah. Uh, look. Well, I don't. <laughs> Look, at the end of the day, I don't know. So seven minutes, that's probably, what, three minutes of game time. Cause there was a lot of stoppages in the last sort of uh, last mm. part of the last quarter. I need. To, I don't really want to go back and watch it again. I've watched the replay. Watched it, I don't really want to watch it again. But I have a feeling from memory that um, the last sort of five minutes, the play was pretty much constantly on the outer wing or in the forward yeah. line, which makes it difficult to get players off, especially in the midfield and, and our forward line. So... I don't know. I think it was just one of those unfortunate things. Would it have changed anything if we had Wines and Rosie on the ground? Probably I don't not. think. Honestly, I don't think it would have. No, uh, look, I don't think we lost because of a um, playing one or two players out of position. I don't think that was that was the nature of this loss. I think it was just a a, a slow and absolute breakdown of everything that Port Adelaide had decided they were going to be in twenty twenty. Um, so I think that, um, that if anything, it just makes it more of a complete a fuck up. Um, but there wouldn't make any real difference if they had played uh, those last seven minutes. Yes, uh, Capital Power and uh, Ricky Vori touched on this, um, but he's asked uh, at what point in the game did you know we were gone? 
bullshit? Uh, look, I don't really know. It's sort of... You don't want to think, oh, we're definitely gone. And honestly, I mean, things could have happened. We could have had a Monfries moment. You know, what? there could have been just some freak run of play that had gone our way, but that was it. Like, hmm. I, I guess the answer to that would be, or the question I would ask is, at what point did you think that the game was no longer down to how we played, but just sort of down to pure luck? And that's probably around about halftime. Um, you know, like at, at what point did I think the game was beyond our control, beyond it being, you know, Port Adelaide, we're going to come through, we're going to play football, and it's going to come down to, oh, yeah, maybe we'll get a bit lucky and get a couple of goals in a row. Uh, that that was halftime for me, probably, just that sort of thinking, yeah, yeah, that's the way this is going, isn't it? Um, yeah. I think, uh, as I said, for me, I was feeling a bit uneasy at half time. I was feeling even more uneasy at three quarters time. When, uh, as I said, when after Dixon's goal, when they got that clearance straight away, I thought, oh, that's, that's not good. Um, when they got out to 10 points, you know, they were sort of nailing the coffin shut for me. And the moment when I knew we were absolutely 100% zero chance of winning this game was when Hartley got that 50 metre penalty. And then shank the kick straight down Ankerfizer's mm. throat, who was standing yeah. on his own, completely out of the play, <laughs> twenty metres on his own in the pocket, not near anybody else, and he pinpointed him out. And it was an absolute killer shank. And at that point, I thought <laughs> there is absolutely a hundred percent no way we are winning this game. It's done. It's over. I to go home <laughs> straight after that. Yep. 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 Very fair. Unfortunately. Uh, Bob McClifford's also asked, um, before this game, Ebert, Burton and Marshall were known quantities in terms of the risk of injury in-game. Did we err in not minimising this risk by selecting all three of them? Nah, I uh, don't think so. Yeah, and, um, I, I think you've got to pick them. Uh, who, like, who would you play instead? Like, if, if you're saying, do we play injury-prone Burton or do we bring in Riley Bonner? Like, you think Riley Bonner would have improved that game? I don't I really don't. Well, someone um, like Lionel, yeah. I guess, you know, do we... I, I don't you know, think could we have played Westhoff instead of Marshall or, or well, it, How does that improve the game? Like, I, what, well, I don't West think it does. Improve? I don't think it would have mattered no, at all. I don't think it does. I don't think it... I don't, like, for me, we played our best team. That was it. And you can say, oh, injury risk. But like, I think even with injury risk, we played our best team. Um, you know? I mean, uh, the only thing you could... You can only think you'd argue, Porsche, is uh, with the... With the conditions that we have, one tall, too many, like, you know, could oh, maybe one. a Marshall, Marshall being out for a, another small, whoever that small is, I don't know. Um, well, would it be Marshall that you drop? Like, I, I don't think, I think that, you know, if you're going to say you're too tall, the first thing you'd probably want to do is drop Adams, right? Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I I'd probably drop Marshall. I probably would have dropped Marshall know. with his injury concern over Adams, to be honest. I don't think it would have mattered. We played our absolute best team. And, you know, you've got to play Burton. Uh, you know, he was probably second or third best on ground in the qualifying final. Can so you, you can't can drop you him imagine? just because he might get injured. Because what if he doesn't get injured and then Bonner or line up play and they don't play very well? And then you go, well, why do we drop Burton for? You know, so there's a lot of worries. How much, howling, how much howling on big footy there would have been if we dropped Burton and brought in Bonner and had the same game result? Like, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. My God. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Mr. has asked, uh, what do we have to do to go past Richmond and Geelong? Will we finish top four in 2021? Well, I mean, Geelong's going to sign Jeremy Cameron and Sean Higgins. Um, I mean, they're going to be 
bloody tough. They're gonna be tough next to beat year. Next year. Yeah. You know, um, they're gonna. I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't know what Richmond's going to do. I mean, Richmond's still got a pretty good blended side as well. So, um, yeah, I guess we just need to get that a little bit better. But I think it's be it is going. I think it's going to be tough to go past those two teams, and we probably probably missed a good opportunity this year. Yeah. Well, look, Geelong's you know the oldest team ever. I think. Aren't they? <coughs> um, so that. Surely they're going to go downhill at some point, but if you're bringing in, you know, Jeremy Cameron and Higgins, that's uh, that's, that's going to make it hard for them to drop. I feel like Richmond. How do might... they afford all the players? Uh, well, they're they're getting rid of Ablett. Harry Taylor will retire, I imagine. Um, you know, and a few of their younger kids will probably be pushed out. Yeah, you know, two's going. I imagine someone like Narkel might go. Yeah, but they're all on uh, what chicken feed, really. It's just like guns and rookies, basically. It's like almost I mean, like fantasy yeah, footy. But... Cameron's a million dollar plus player a year, surely. Yeah. In the open market. Probably. How yeah. how can you uh what you you tell me Hawkins is gonna he only plays for like three hundred grand a year for the fun of it? Same for Dangerfield. Dangerfield only plays for three hundred grand a year for the fun of it? I think it's quite well known that Geelong manage their salary cap exceptionally well and that a lot of their players do take a little bit less just to try and get a premiership. And their, their wives are really are paid very well on the uh, on the outside. Look, they, they, they all work at Fort and, uh, you know, all that down at Geelong. But, uh, Executive yeah, management positions know. for a company that doesn't exist being paid $300,000 a year makes sense. Probably, probably. <laughs> well, I feel like Richmond might drop a little bit next year and start their sort of downturn, maybe. But uh, look, there's no reason why we can't finish top four next year, in my opinion. I think it all comes down to the older players, more so than the younger guys. I think um, the thing that concerns me a little bit is just how distraught guys like Motlop and uh, Rocky were after the game. Because uh, if we're going to finish top four, we need Rockliffe to do what he did this year. We need Motlop um, to perform as well. We need those older guys to uh, to really perform. If they start to go downhill, then there's no chance we'll finish top four. But I'm taking the positive view. I think, uh, I think we will. There's no reason why we can't. Yeah, I, th- I think we can finish top four. I just think going past Richmond and Geelong might be tough. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. Uh, Schultz Defense has asked, uh, what's the maximum you would pay for Brad Crouch? Well, we're not going for him, so what does it matter? Yeah. I don't really care about the money. It's, uh, for me, it's all about the, the, uh, the uh, playing list as opposed to the salary cap management, really. Yeah. What's the maximum you would trade for Arazio? Riley Bonner. I wouldn't. I'd say a third rounder. And what would you make an offer for Robbie Tarrant? No. No. Probably not because I think Elias Walsh may not be better. I think he's in the right sort of age bracket for us. So I would be very I'm more happy with Elias than, um, than Robbie Tarrant. Uh, expat power is asked. Excited about Lockie Jones, but he's only 188 centimetres. Do we need to recruit a taller player for the back line? Yes. No, because he is 
Russell Ebert reincarnated. He's going to be amazing. He can do anything, Lockie Jones. No pressure. Hey, hey can I point something out? Mm-hmm. Um, Boyd, Boyd Woodcock's played the same number of games this year as Aurelia Fantasia. He's just kicked three times as many goals. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Yeah, but if, if you Google... Ratio well, was playing on a back flank, though, but... If you Google Sorry. final, if you look up final we, siren and Hamish Harlett and is that Daniel Rich, well, look, as someone on Big Footy said, this is this is a port wet dream, mate. A small forward, a small marking forward that can play on the back flank. That's oh, perfect. <laughs> that is the perfect quarter leg fruit right there. Well, it's true. I mean, it's a natural west up replacement, right? <laughs> Um, us against the rest, give Hinkley 2021 and sack him twice because we failed to do so in 2017. What do you think about that, Macca? Look, why not? Why not? I still think we should give him a 10-year deal. Right, here we go. Only because he loads your uh, profit margins. A little bit. But that's fine. That's all fine. Uh, CT Power has asked, how much longer has Tom Rockliffe got in terms of seasons? Half a he's... season. Well, he's contracted for one more year. We know that. I think um, it wouldn't surprise me if that's his last year, next year. He might get another one-year deal if he if he plays well. Mm. Uh, man, we've got a lot of holes in our side coming up. That's my main thought. Mm. <laughs> like we talked about just now how uh, maybe we should have played uh, Bonner instead of Burton. Maybe we should have played Westhoff instead of Marshall. Um, we're talking about how a couple of those could already go. The depth in our team right now is in all the positions we don't seem to get injuries, which is things like, you know, um, contested ball midfielders. Uh, we've got a real cliff coming, guys. We've got a huge cliff coming. Um, and it's nice having guys like Rosie and Desma, but if we don't continue on, on this exact method of going through and drafting young players that can come through as a group, like, we're just going to be completely fucked. We can't lose sight of that now, honestly. So, yeah. I think we will lose sight of that. That's why I think... Part um, uh, We'll get another four or five youngsters in this year. And I so. think we've got a pretty decent uh, young core developing... Um, it well, just depends on how much core. they can develop. Because, like, that's the thing. Like, we talk about our young core, but, like, we've got one key forward and one key backman uh, in terms of, you know, young players, and that would be Marshall and Cassini, probably. Um, <laughs> it's it's not a young core. It's a young set of flankers and midfielders. Uh, I don't know. And so when you also look at taking out someone like um, Rockliffe, who's, you know, he's, he is at centre square midfielder, yeah, maybe he's someone we can replace. But, like, he's just one of a whole bunch of guys that are going to drop off the tweet pretty bloody soon. Um, yeah. Now, Phil mm-hmm. Reich has asked, though, right? am I a bad person for hoping one of the grand final players slips on a piece of MCG turf and doesn't mean? Only uh, if that player is Patrick Dangerfield. I hope that piece of turf dies on the way to the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one. And they can't use it. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, CT Power has asked, would you offer David Noble the CEO job at Port Adelaide? Why? Is he a CEO? Yes. yes, I would. Why? Because he's an exceptional worker 
plus. I think I think he's a very very good football person and would make a very very good CEO. So is that all you need to be the Port Adelaide CEO? Well, a lot of people are talking about Bozo, and Bozo's no different to Noble. So. Well, I I wouldn't have Bozo either. Mm. I, here's the I thing: we've just I, had, I don't I don't okay, think it'll be either. Let me put it this way. We've just had a CEO who theoretically we got in because he was a football person and during his period of reign we've competed in, what, two prelims and done nothing. We've removed the focus on weeks to win premierships and added and make our community proud. We've just kind of been generally vaguely good guys and not really upset anyone. Uh, and any time there's something that you can question about the football department, he says, oh, we've got people in position and we trust them to do their jobs. Like, you don't need a football CEO if that's how you're going to run your company, if that's how you're going to run your club. Nah, nah, we don't want David Noble as a CEO. We don't want Bozo as a CEO. We don't need anyone with football now as a CEO. If all the CEOs Let's just not have a CEO. Well, no, if you're just going to say the CEO, he's going to say, oh, we'll let the football department do what they do, then you don't need football background for it, do you? So get the best CEO. But that's that's my view. You know, we've had one fail attempt at having a football CEO most recently with uh, Keith Thomas. It is a failed attempt. Uh, so just get a good CEO. I, we don't need some cronies coming in. Fair enough. There now, CT Power has also said, uh, would losing Michael Voss be a big loss? Oh, probably not. It would give us the opportunity to move other guys around and maybe bring in some fresh thoughts. Agreed. Fair enough. April 2004 was asked, uh, was this our only chance at a flag? No. No. It's not. No. I think next year we'll will have another be one in... a big shot. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. I don't think next year will be. I think that I don't think it was really a chance at a flag, but there you go. We'll have another <laughs> shot. I think next year will, will be a big shot. We're in a 10-year uh, cycle, Maka. Let me ask Maka. <laughs> um, when we're also adding Jeremy Cameron to Geelong, uh, and we can probably expect the same other top five sides to be around this time of next year, then how do we get through a succession of three of them next year? How are we going to do that? What, what are we going to do differently that can be better than this year to get through that with the, with the personnel that we have in the coaching box and on the field? I think we can be up there. There's no reason why we can't be up there and have another crack. Look, we almost got there. We almost got there this year. There's no reason why we can't be 1% better next year. We've got through one of three. We've got through one of three potential ones. We have to get through three to win the premiership. Mm. We've got through one. All right, come on. Hurry up. I want to go to bed. Uh, Well, here we go. Rovet has asked, uh, in what area do we need to improve the most to be a better team next year? Pace in the midfield. Coaching. Coaching? Yeah. Coaching system. Coaching system has to massively change. He's also asked, uh, what do you think of Selwood and Dangerfield, etc., getting their upper arms and shoulders covered in some slick-looking substance uh, just prior to the start of the game? I mean, that's, that's why decades and decades what, and decades, really. That's why coaches say tackle the hips. Yeah. The old liniment or baby oil or whatever it is, that's happened for, uh, for an exceptionally long time. Uh, let's see. Cheesy Mac has asked, is this loss easier or harder to take than the 14 prelim? I think we already asked that. Let's yeah, easy. That. Uh, April 2004 has asked, kicking to the pockets in 2014, um, kicking to one area and have every four jumping at the same area in 2020. Both teams that beat us in the prelim finals played more leading pattern football. Why does yep. Ken hate traditional forward setups and movements? 
because he doesn't know how to execute them. Yeah, I think he lacks courage for it. That's the problem. I think he, I think he's worried about the quick rebound out with that traditional forward setup. I think he lacks the nouse to implement it in a modern game plan. And I think that uh, if you're trying to compromise between ideas of the coaches beneath you, trying to be the manager of all of it, then you're going to end up with a fucking compromise, which is exactly what we've got. Yep. Uh, CT Powers asked, uh, with Cam Sutcliffe being delisted, we forgot about that. How did I forget to mention Cam Sutcliffe being delisted? Thanks for your efforts, Cam. I didn't think we listed him. Did we list him? Okay. Well, he was obviously listed at some point. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, uh, how many do you think Port will draft this year? Who knows, man. Like, it really comes down to, like, as we said, uh, I guess previously we were talking about how Port Adelaide has the draft focus. We look a year ahead of what most other teams do, which explains why we go for different classes of players like we did last year drafting a bunch of guys that hardly played any under-18s football. So does that mean that we still have an advantage and we're going to draft a bunch of guys late that other clubs haven't really had their eye on? Or does it become that now every single club is doing the exact same thing that we have been doing the last few couple of years uh, and therefore we've lost our edge? Like, it's, I don't know which one it's going to be. Mm. Um, if we think it's the second one, we probably won't draft the whole heap. If we think it's the first one... If we think we've got the edge, if we know more about these players because that's exactly where we focus, um, then, yeah, it would be stupid not to get a whole bunch of late draft picks available because who knows what's going to fall through. Hmm. I don't know. I think we'll probably... I think we'll draft three and we'll bring in two other experienced recruits through trade. Only three? Oh, God, I would have thought at least five. Well, three in the main draft, and then obviously, if there is a rookie draft, I don't know. But uh, I mean, it depends on depends on the size and all that sort of stuff as well, doesn't it? So, well, again, it's I'm not sure if the AFL has made a decision on whether you know, lists are being cut or not, or whatever it is. But I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah. And last question is: CT Power, are you doing any draft podcasts this year, including one on draft night? Uh, I'm not sure. It's a bit hard this year because you know <laughs> the main sort of crop of players haven't played all year. So um, yeah, I don't know if we'll do any pre-draft draft ones. Um, we okay. might do something on draft night, maybe. Yeah, look, it's going to be an outcome of trade week because right now we don't have a first round pick. So what are we even going to talk about on draft night? <laughs> you know. Um, our, our picks will be the next day, most likely, if they're still doing that setup. Do we know, even know how they're doing the draft this year? Are they breaking it up over multiple days again, or what are they doing? Who knows? I assume it will be over two days, but yeah. So, if they do the first round on the one night, then obviously, you know, if, unless we trade into the first round, we can't expect anything to actually happen for us there. So, hmm. there we go, done and dusted. Cool. Disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we got... frustrating infuriating and uh, now we've got a nice long off season of bullshit apparently thanks Koshi for starting to speak up again um, it's really great it's going to be a really fun off season honestly this off season is going to be like a whole just a slightly variant version of COVID-19 lockdown <laughs> it's going to be fucking terrible mm. <laughs> Uh, All right. At least you can go outside again. Hooray. Hooray.
Until next time, hey, thanks guys. You can go 25 kilometers from your house, Porsche. Enjoy. I'm excited. I'm very excited. <laughs> Adios, amigos. See you in 2021. Yeah. Bye-bye.